1: The
0: Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender and equality. Welcome in partnership with the Columbus Dispatch editorial board. The Other Side is featuring a special series of podcast episodes called In Black and White. Dr. Terrence Dean and I will be interviewing scholars and community leaders in relevant fields to try to answer some of the most important questions related to racism. And joining us today is Columbus Councilwoman Shayla Favor. Thank you for joining us today, Councilwoman.
2: Thank you for having me.
3: Yes, you're very excited. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been pretty busy. I've seen a lot of of you on the news lately, particularly around schools and zoning, neighborhoods and zoning. And now you have this new initiative for housing for those who may be displaced. Could you talk about that? Because I saw the announcement on Twitter. So for those who may not be on Twitter, could you share more about what that new initiative for, for those who may be facing eviction, housing displacement and what they need to do and how they can get in touch with that organization?
2: Absolutely. Over the course of the, the last year and a half, so since the onset of the pandemic, the city has um, put over $33 million out into the community community to help with uh, eviction assistance. So that includes actually paying your rent, but also includes legal assistance as well as mediation services. What we announced last week uh, is the new Stable Housing Initiative as a way to really uh, penetrate the those vulnerable markets that don't often get the type of attention that they deserve. We know that this pandemic uh, has not hit all communities equally, and that it has disproportionately affected communities of colors. And so, you know, with that in mind, uh, we are ensuring that there are dollars out into the community that are supporting smaller organizations, some of the larger organizations that we have worked with. And I'm gonna take a moment just to give a shout out to to, um, all of our housing providers who have just been uh, phenomenal. Uh, helping so many of our uh, Columbus and Franklin County residents impact uh, Columbus Urban League, just to name a few. Uh, But this is really about targeting specific communities. So new Americans, LGBTQIA plus residents, uh, thinking about residents who are are seniors or disabled. Uh, You may not be familiar with impact. You may not be familiar with uh, the Columbus Urban League, but you might know St. Stephen's Community House and would feel comfortable going and working with the representative there. So $12.2 million to those organizations and hoping to get another round of that out very soon.
3: So, so when you say that they're offering rental assistance, is there a certain cap on how much rental assistance one can apply for?
2: Yeah, so so there have been uh, various different funding sources that have come from the federal government. What residents need to understand is each of those different pots have come with different sets of rules. They don't need to worry about that too much. What we are figuring out is how we can um, use that those pots of money depending upon the rules to serve whoever is in front of us at that moment. So we might not be able to use the first round of CARES Act dollars to serve somebody that's already received assistance, but they might be eligible for some treasury dollars or they might be eligible for ARC dollars. So if you are um, in facing eviction or if you are, are close uh, to that eviction don't wait until you actually get that summons in, in the mail reach out to any of those 26 plus organizations uh, that are committed to doing this work alongside the the, the city of columbus and let me also uh, reiterate that this money is for landlords as well you know uh, I, I know that you know the community might feel that the landlords you know they don't need to recoup their money right now we're facing a pandemic but we're thinking about our mom and pop, Uh, landlords as well. And they use that rental income as a way of sustaining their livelihood. And they have taken a hit just like some of us too. So landlords can also apply on behalf of their tenants.
3: I think it was, that's really great to make note of is that so many people who may be African-American or other minorities who may be housing landlords and mm-hmm. offering, you know, to help those in the community. But, you know, mm-hmm. so it works reciprocal, as you as you mentioned, so, so really great. great work. Thank you. Yeah. So How do they get in touch with IMPACT? Is there a number? Is there a website? And do they do all the information? Do they fill everything out online? Mm-hmm. How long is the process? Like, will it happen immediately? Like, I mean... I, I mean yeah. This is tomorrow. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So um, if, if your listeners are uh, on social media, I have uh, all of the organizations listed on my, my pages. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, Twitter and TikTok as well. <laughs> Um, and as we are speaking, my team is putting up another graphic that is going to provide additional information for folks. So if you if you Google um, uh, city of Columbus, stable housing initiative, you'll find the list of the 26 organizations. If you go to my any of my social media pages, I've got a flyer that lists all of the organizations on there and just stay in touch. Um, let me know, I have been going uh, back and forth with folks on Facebook and Twitter, who've had questions, who provided us feedback, We welcome all of that, right? We're not gonna be able to capture all of the organizations that first go around, but we wanna know how else we can continue to be most helpful to residents right now.
0: Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of
1: uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Why is this word passionate for you? Because uh, that's been your initiative um, as Then yeah. um, housing. Um, yeah. For those who may not know, you, know, you were a city a zoning attorney.
2: Yes. My career started off uh, at the Columbus City Attorney's Office uh, in the Environmental Division. And the work that we were primarily doing was uh, abating nuisance properties. And what that means um, is cleaning up neighborhoods. Uh, Think about the way in which uh, some of our communities are plagued with um, uh, uh, some bodegas which are not and my husband's from New York, so we use that kind of frequently. Right. Um, you know, bodegas that, you know, aren't giving the community what it needs as far as food sources. Right. But I can't tell you how, you know, how many I had to investigate that were selling drugs or running prostitution or gas stations um, that are selling single cigarettes to to kids or alcohol to kids or even um, folks who are using their homes to engage in criminal activity, we were able to investigate those types of cases, bring them into court, uh, and essentially demand that they do something or they uh, stop doing something. Um, and that can change someone's experience overnight. Um, if you've got drug activity going, um, you know, across your, your pathway every single day, you're worried about your kids going back and forth to school, you know, that getting that type of criminal activity out of our community is, is key to eliminating blight. Uh, and making all of our communities safe and accessible uh, to all of our residents, no matter your skin color. So it's passionate for me because what we all often find is that uh, people that look like me are in communities uh, that don't see a lot of investment, right? That don't see the type of revitalization that you might see in more affluent areas. Now, we could talk about gentrification at another in another podcast, but at the same time, I feel that everyone deserves safe and affordable housing. Ha- um, um, housing. Um, I think that everybody should have opportunity to jobs uh, and to quality education, but that doesn't happen if we don't clean up our neighborhoods. So housing is incredibly important to me. And I also know the history of housing and African-Americans in this country and how our communities were created. It's not by um, accident that we have what you, what is known as ghettos uh, or urban corridors or suburbs, right? These are things that are all done by design. And it's time that we start to truly shed some light. And if we want to really talk about equity, this is how it starts. So I'm passionate about it uh, because I, I want to see, and let me take a step back. All of these things play into each other, right? We're talking about systemic racism. You can't talk about education without also talking about housing, right? How is a student going to make sure that he's receiving that quality education if he has nowhere to go and lay his home his head down at night and to do his homework? Well. Let's also talk about jobs, right? How is that person going to get that job if they haven't received the education or the skills training that they need, and then they don't have the housing that they need. And so if they don't get the job that they need, they can't pay for the housing that they need. This is how systemic racism works. It's really about dismantling the systems. And I think that housing um, is one kink in the chain that we can start to work at.
3: I love how you just gave us a brief analysis of critical race theory in that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, not CRT. (laughs) That's the dirty word right
3: now. <laughs> like broke it down <laughs> in latest terms. Like how all these things impact one another and they're systemic in the way they react and, and, and how they impact people of color. Yeah. But, you know, let's talk about affordable housing because that's very key and a key component. You know, Columbus is growing. I've seen a lot of construction happening in a lot of communities, particularly, you know, around the downtown and that area. How is that going to impact housing for those who may be interested in reinvesting in community? Because I've seen the skyrocketing of rent, the skyrocketing of, you know, home ownership now, those homes that were once affordable seem to be now out of reach for a lot of African Americans. So is there something or or, or some type of plan you envision to help people to reinvest in that regard who want to reinvest in their own community?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of initiatives that are happening at the city. I I think it's to set the landscape, you've got a city that is growing. It's 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 the fastest growing community city in the state of Ohio. It's the 14th largest city in the country, with a little over 900,000 residents, and expected to grow um, by a million in just a few years. Million more additional residents in a few years. Um, our housing market has been booming for quite some time now. Um, even at while I was at the city attorney's office. Um, i was frequently frequently contacted by uh developers and investors from overseas buying uh properties in mass sight unseen um so columbus has been hot um and and that's for a lot of reasons you know we've got a lot of fortune 500 companies we've got these large universities there's so many things that attract uh companies and folks to the city of columbus yeah. but then you also put that in light of the pandemic and the pandemic has slowed down a lot in our society, including development and construction. Now, it does appear as though we are building a lot everywhere. And pre-pandemic, we were building around 8,000-ish units a year, when we needed to be building 14,000 units to keep at pace with our growth. So we, uh, even though it seems like we're building a lot, we weren't building enough to keep up. And so then you introduce the pandemic, And then lumber goes up construction costs go up and so we're slowing down even more coupled with the fact that folks have lost their jobs right um so you just see these things compounding upon themselves so you know there's there's a a few things happening at the local level uh you have the incentive policy the incentive policy is a way for Developers to get up to be a part of this affordable housing initiative. So, if you're going to build in certain areas of the community and you want to receive a tax incentive, a tax abatement, um, then you have to set aside a certain amount of the units in your project that will be deemed affordable. Okay, so there's that piece. There's also the piece with we have a land bank in the city of Columbus in Franklin County. And uh, there is a owner occupied program so that if you want to live in the community that you are purchasing this property, you don't want to just develop and go flip and go then and you and you're committed to living five years, 50 percent off that property. Now, I say that with the acknowledgement that most properties that end up in the land bank, they're in bad shape, right? They have come through come to us by way of tax foreclosure or a donation, something along those lines, but they need work. But once again, it's incentivizing not only just ownership, but actually being a committed member of that specific community that you're in. So, and then we also have um, an update to our zoning code that's taken place. Our zoning code has not been updated in probably the last 20 plus years. And people might be asking, well, why does that matter? Well, zoning can be. Um, an obstacle that many affordable housing developers have to overcome. So if you're required to have so many parking spaces, if you're required to have tapping fees, that means tapping in to get the water, the sewer activated. Um, if, If you've got all of these things that can be a barrier to you getting your process started, time is money, right? So how can we work around those things? So that policy is currently, excuse me, that code is currently being revised right now. But short of having that silver bullet, it's going to be a combination of uh, progressive measures uh, that are really targeted towards um, and, and, and driving home equity uh, to ensure that folks that have never had opportunities to, to participate in home ownership they have those opportunities. So and there's protections to make sure that the homes that we do have remain affordable as long as they can.
3: Scott, I know you're waiting anxiously to jump in here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Councilwoman, I wanted to ask you about the housing moratorium, which Mm -hmm. President Biden just, his administration just elected to not pursue extending that that moratorium, uh, which was in place primarily during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So many people who were financially um, affected couldn't pay their rent. So now that the moratorium, uh, for the most part, is going to be ending, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you think it should be extended? And if it is, what would you say to to the landlords who, in many cases, may be small mom and pop operations? And so they financially cannot bear the burden of not having rents come in. You know, they may not want to put their tenants out on yeah. the street, but they just financially can't continue to go on not receiving rent. So I just want to know what's your response to that?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I understand um, everyone's frustration with the, the the limitations on the moratorium. You know, I think for the better part of the pandemic, we were blamed for not canceling rent and we don't have that authority to do that at the local level. If the president of the United States can't get that done, we definitely uh, can't do it as a a member of council. But what we can do um, is continue to put dollars out in our community to ensure that folks are not going to have to face evictions. And that includes ensuring that landlords have dollars that they need in order to keep themselves afloat as well. There have been um, many mortgage companies that have worked with landlords during this process to extend that grace. Uh, But when we think about our, our mom and pop Uh, landlords, that's why the Stable Housing Initiative and that $12.2 million that we announced last week was so critical for us to really start raising awareness to uh, the measures that have been put in place by uh, President Biden's administration, that these dollars aren't just for uh, residents, for tenants, that they are also for landlords so that they can keep themselves afloat. The problem is that states and uh, local jurisdictions have not gotten the dollars out as quickly as they need to. And so what you'll start to see now is really this elevation, elevated conversation and the need to get the dollars out the door. Um, There's no doubt that one of the most frustrating things about me being an elected official is the the bureaucratic mess that comes along with everything. I want to get the dollar to the people that the person that needs it the most right now. I don't want to have to worry about all of the administrative pieces and all of that. These people are suffering right now and I want to get the aid to them. I have had to, I have been humbled in many ways, and understand that that's also part of the process here. And so, as much as that I can do to streamline that process, and part of this is just education. Many t- landlords don't even know that they can have access to that dollar, and even if they do, they're worried that uh, working with the government uh, could have some blowback blowback for them. And right. so, what does it look like for us to really get in front of the messaging and demonstrate to? our landlords and our tenants that we the city is truly here uh, to to help them navigate this process. This is unprecedented. We have never seen anything like this in our country's history and I don't know if we're ever going to see this amount of money ever get infused into states and local jurisdictions ever again. And so So. my advocacy is not just for eviction assistance right now and making sure that landlords stay afloat, but how do we change the trajectory of folks so that people get access to home ownership uh, so that uh, we get folks out of shelter and that they're in stable housing? We're talking about housing overall, and it's more than just evictions.
0: So just to just to follow up on on what mm-hmm. you just said. So there is money still there and, and oh, people yes. can still there is still money that people can apply for. The problem is that people are just not aware. You're saying the problem is that the money is just not going out because people are not aware that, that it's actually there and available for their use.
2: I think part of it is education. I think that this, that we and I have owned um, I, I can't own every problem for the city, but I own that we need to do a better job of getting out there and telling our story, telling the fact that we have put out over 33 million dollars over the course of the pandemic. We just announced another 12.2 last week. So yes, there is money out there available for landlords and tenants. I love Thank that. You. and I think it's absolutely right.
3: You said it's very critical that we get information into the community mm-hmm. and how. And I think what you're saying, the platforms you're using, you know, social media is one. Radio has to be another component. Newspaper, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of times our seniors and elders um, and those persons may not have access to computer or social media. How they get information, and then like you said, education. Yes. Bureaucracy of it, you know.
2: Yes. Yes, that's the frustrating piece for me. That's the frustrating (laughs) piece for me. Uh, But you know, last week uh, the mayor and I announced. Uh, that new 12.2 that was going out into the community. And so I feel like that got a lot of press, but we can't just rest on that. We gotta just keep you know, banging that thing out there and making it loud as much as we can. So conversations like this absolutely help because there's people that are listening to you guys that might not never touch my social media, might not never watch 10 TV news and see that this information is out there. And there's so much other misinformation that's happening in our news. Um, that that folks might be shying away from traditional news outlets. And so that's something that we have to take into account. How do we penetrate other communities uh, that aren't, uh, you know, don't receive information the way in which we do?
3: And I want to remind our listeners that we are talking to Councilwoman Shayla Favor, you know, for those of y'all who don't know, she's active in community. I want to make sure, do you have anything, an event that's coming up that people can attend or any other way that people can get in contact with you? And what's next for Shayla Favor? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, right now. I am working on the community outreach piece um, that is going to, um, that is working in collaboration with some housing legislation that I passed, that council passed back in March. So in light of our housing and eviction crisis in Columbus, I rolled out the housing for all legislative package. In that package, we passed protections to ensure that uh, tenants could not be discriminated based upon how they receive their source of income, right? Um, So if you receive your income uh, from Section 8 or if you receive alimony or you receive child support, it does not matter and it should not matter. As long as you're able to pay your rent, that should not be a means of discrimination. Source of income discrimination is a proxy for race discrimination. And that is one of the reasons why that was so important for us uh, to ensure was a part of this first rollout of our housing measures. The second one, um, we call it uh, renter's choice. And, and what that does is provide um, an opportunity for folks who are having to move quickly during this pandemic time, um, whether they face an eviction or something else. Um, when you ha- move, one of the, the, the most um, burdensome pieces is those uh, are those upfront co- moving costs. Yeah. So think about the security deposit, right? You got a $1,000 in a security deposit, you gotta pay first and last month's rent. So what it, would it look like if you had a choice here? If you could pay it like you normally would, the $1,000 upfront, or split that payment up over three months, or split it up over six months. So now that option is available for residents uh, to use right now, like it's already law. And then the third piece is, we're just calling it rental receipt. If you pay your rent with cash or money order, the landlord is required to give you a receipt. Now it seems like, yeah, you would get a receipt, but you weren't. And what we find is if you are low income, Uh, most of the times you're also unbanked. And so you're relying on um, uh, your word against their word if you have to face an eviction, um, a a trial for an eviction and oftentimes it doesn't fare well for the tenant. So those protections are in place right now. Um, we are working uh, with a team that's gonna be out in the community over the next two to three months, really educating residents and tenants on what these protection means. This, these are really fair housing matters. Um, and I wanna make sure that if I cannot build more housing today, like physically right now, that I'm doing everything that I can to protect residents um, so that they are not um, you know, taken advantage of, that they can Fight for themselves if they ever should find themselves in that position.
3: So, and what's next?
2: What's next? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm already thinking about housing for all, part two, round two. Uh, so, already thinking of you know what are some more progressive measures that we can take uh, yeah. in Columbus uh, to to really make a dip. Once again, I'm not a developer and I don't own a construction company. So I can do all of the policy making that I can, but how can we make sure that we are preserving what's already here so that it can be affordable indefinitely? And you know, those are large complex problems that they don't, they're not easy to solve, but I'm excited to be a part of the conversation and advocating on the side of change and preservation.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much, Councilwoman. We really appreciate you joining us today. We really do. Oh. Yeah, it's a pleasure.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, it, please my, come I, back. Yeah, we have we have, yeah, to have time. time. There's so many. I mean, I I chair housing, but I also chair criminal justice and judiciary. Uh, so that's the courts and everything dealing with you know a lot of the stuff that we're also talking about uh, in uh, the black and brown communities. And then I also chair public service and transportation, uh, which is also key, right? Like when we're talking about um, you know access to opportunities and jobs. Well, you got to have transportation to get there. So how are we ensuring that that we're doing that?
3: Okay, well, thank you. So we know you have to run because you're very busy making change for our city, you know, and our communities. And we just thank you so much for everything you do. So we appreciate you. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you both. Have a great day.
3: All right, take care. Thank you. See you.
0: And for everybody else out there, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find them on dispatch.com or wherever else you find your podcast. So until the next time, try to see things from the other side. Thanks. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are
1: left.